Well, good morning, church family. Today's sermon is entitled, Led by the Spirit into the Wilderness. And my hope and prayer is that as we go through this study, my choosing of this title will make a little more sense. So just please bear with me in the meantime. But as I look at our current reality, I can't help but think that we are experiencing our own sort of wilderness experience. For some, home life has changed. Kids are home from school and Many of the fun places available for them to be entertained are not open right now. They're not an option. For some, work life has changed. Some continue to work as they always have, but others are now working from home, and still others have maybe lost their job or have been furloughed. But for all of us that attend church, Sabbath morning has changed. We are no longer meeting in the church building, congregating together in the foyer, sharing a meal out in the fellowship hall. Worship still takes place, but it's different, foreign, maybe even lonely. The dictionary definition of wilderness is an uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable region. Now, when we look at the Bible definition, we see a different picture. Today, we will be looking at some stories in connection with the wilderness in both the Old and New Testament. And the Old Testament usage is this Hebrew word midbar, midbar, while the New Testament uses a Greek word aremas, aremas. The main translations of these words used in the Bible are as follows. Solitary, lonely, desolate, uninhabited. Now, I think that these definitions are quite relatable to our current situation. By the end of the sermon, I hope you will be comforted in your own wilderness experience, knowing that you aren't alone, and by seeing the ways God used the past wilderness experiences of his children to bring about good. Today, I want to look at Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, John the Revelator, and finally, Jesus. These are all individuals that had types of the wilderness experience, and I believe there is much for us to learn and meditate on concerning their stories. Take Moses, for instance. He had two separate wilderness experiences. The first one took place because of a wrong he committed. Exodus 2.11, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Eventually, Moses is found out, and he flees Egypt in order to save his life. He ends up in the land of Midian, and he meets a man who would eventually become his father-in-law. Years later, we find that Moses has taken his father-in-law's flock to, quote-unquote, the back of the desert, a.k.a. the wilderness. It's while there that he meets the angel of the Lord in that burning bush, and God speaks to Moses and says, Come now, therefore, 
and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You see, Moses came from a rich, lush land full of people, education, worship, shopping, and work. But it was the wilderness that God used to get through to Moses. It was in the wilderness that Moses found greater meaning for his life. Moses fled into the wilderness out of fear, but he heard the voice of God and met his presence there. Elijah had a similar experience. He had literally just come from his own mountaintop experience, right? He, he went head to head with the prophets of Baal, and he won. He prevailed. God sent down fire from heaven, and he ended a three-year drought. First Kings 19, 1 picks up, though, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elisha had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elisha, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So here we have another Bible hero fleeing into the wilderness in fear of his life. He's so overcome with worry and anxiety that he'd rather God take his life than continue living on. But then something extraordinary happens. An angel appears and he feeds him on two separate occasions. He then tells Elijah to go even deeper into the wilderness. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights. We will see that time scheme again. He arrives at a cave and spends the night there. More loneliness, more solitude. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. These two men of God, Moses and Elijah, flee into the wilderness out of fear. But God finds them, speaks to them, and gives them new purpose for their lives. The wilderness experience has a way of knocking out our distractions. The wilderness experience has a way of allowing us to better hear God's voice. The wilderness can also be a place where we learn to fully put our trust in God. Do you remember the story of the Israelite exodus from Egypt? God was calling his people to leave their bondage and go out into the wilderness. It's easy to misunderstand what the wilderness experience is about. Sometimes we may feel it's a punishment. Sometimes we may feel it's our demise. Notice how Pharaoh viewed it. 
Exodus 14.3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. He thought the wilderness was lost for the Israelites. He hoped to use it to his advantage, but God had other plans. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The wilderness was the place where the Israelites were to learn to fully trust in God. It was the place where he would fight for them and ultimately bring them peace. The wilderness was for their own good. It was for their benefit. Yet they struggled to see it. What was supposed to be a short journey turned into 40 years. They complained. They wanted out. They even wished to go back to slavery. They longed for normal. They dreamed of going back to the way things were. But God was showing them a better way, a new way, a way not built on comfort and certainty, but instead a way built on progress and trust in God concerning the unknown. What is God trying to tell us, his children, in the 21st century, while we are having our own wilderness experience right now? Are we, like the Israelites of old, simply longing for normal is it possible that our murmuring and complaining might elongate our wilderness experience while god tries desperately to get through to us what if god is trying to get us to let go of our desire for normalcy what if he is trying to teach us that some of the old ways of doing things aren't helpful anymore what if he is trying to get us to embrace different and new We aren't called to become attached to normal here on this earth because we aren't going to be here for long. This sinful world is not, thank God, our forever home. Different and new is exactly what God was presenting when he called the man we refer to as John the Baptist, right? As he grew, he continued to be a strange man indeed. His birth was shrouded in mystery, different and new. And as he grew, he was clothed in camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. And can you guess where he was when he received God's call for his life? Luke 3, 2 says, While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. He was called by God in the wilderness in order to deliver a message to the world by calling them out into the wilderness. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. There is something special about the wilderness, the aremas. There is power in solitude and even loneliness. When no one is around, Who else is there to cling to besides God? John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, had his own wilderness experience. Near the end of his life, he was sent into solitary confinement on the lonely Isle of Patmos. 
It was during his, his exile that God gave him the visions that would become the book that we know as Revelation. What is God trying to reveal to us during our sort of solitary confinement? We wish we could be with our friends and loved ones in the church building, but instead we are stuck on our own little lonely islands. Is God hoping to reveal new things to us? Is he unveiling his character to us during these times? Are we seeing? Are we listening? Did you know that there are times where the Spirit of God actually calls people into a wilderness experience for their own good? in preparation for something greater, in preparation for something bigger. In the book of Hosea, God's chosen people, his bride Israel, are enjoying a time of prosperity and growth. Similar to what we American Christians have been experiencing over the past few years. But inwardly, corruption and spiritual adultery plagued the people. They are busy and fruitful. Their wealth and influence grew, but their ability to slow down and hear God's voice was severely handicapped. What do you think God's solution to the problem was? He brings judgment upon his own people. He chastens them. All of their sins are laid out before them. Their spiritual nakedness is revealed. Their empty sacrifices are rejected. Their harlotry is called out. Their excess is taken away. But then something amazing happens. God extends mercy and forgiveness. And what experience does he choose to bring about What what experience does he choose to use to bring about positive change in his bride? Hosea 2.14 has the answer. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Their way of life was too fruitful, too busy, too noisy, and too distracting. They couldn't see their own sin. They couldn't hear the voice of God. And so where does he call them in order to get their attention, to speak to them, and to offer true and lasting comfort? He calls them into the wilderness, into the desolate place, the experience of solitude. While at first the eremas may seem to be a terrible thing, embracing what God is wanting to do there could be the best thing to ever happen to us. Jesus' official ministry didn't begin until he was 30 years old and baptized in the Jordan. But before his preaching and teaching, before his mighty miracles and casting out of demons, before his traveling and spreading the gospel message, he was called somewhere else. Luke 4.1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was the Spirit of God. Did you catch that? The Spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness, into solitude, into the lonely place. And it wasn't a joyful experience once he got there. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing and afterward... When they had ended, he was hungry. He was there for 40 days. 
He was tempted by the enemy. He ate nothing while he was there. This was grueling, difficult, uncomfortable, and trying on Jesus. But it was necessary. It was necessary. It wasn't until after his Aramis experience that Jesus could say this following prophecy was fulfilled in him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus had his first wilderness experience pressed upon him by the Spirit, but he learned what he needed to learn. He experienced the power that solitude can bring, and he made it a normal practice in his life in ministry. Luke 5, 16 says, So he himself, Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus often withdrew into the Aramos. He knew of its importance in his spiritual nourishment. He saw it as a necessity. Now, in our current age, Americans work more hours and sleep less than ever before. There is a literal information overload. If we don't have a book, we have radio. Or we have television or a podcast or a text message or a Facebook notification or a new Twitter post or a phone call or a flood of emails or a YouTube video or our favorite musical number and the list goes on and on and on. We live in a wonderful age of technology. Right? I mean, you're watching me right now from the comfort of your own homes because of technology. And many of these technological innovations promise to make our lives faster, easier, and more efficient. Yet many of us feel more busy and hurried than ever before. We are exhausted, overworked, burned out. Our minds race a mile a minute, and the thought of slowing down itself can bring on anxiety. We don't make time for the Aramis in our lives. Could God be using this current world condition to force us into a wilderness experience that we are not willing to partake of on our own? Is it possible that the Spirit has led us into the wilderness to learn from Him? What good is prayer, Bible study, and reflection if we don't have time for it, right? We don't make time for it because we feel that there isn't time for it. Jesus made it a point to practice the solitude that comes from the Aramis for a number of different reasons. I pray that we learn from this current wilderness experience and accept the power that it can bring to our daily lives. Let us learn from Jesus, our Savior, and our example. Jesus embraced the Aramis to prepare for a major task. We saw that at the beginning of his ministry. He went into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy and then came out prepared for his calling. Jesus embraced the Aramis to recharge after hard work. In Mark 6, Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to do ministry. When they returned, he encouraged them to separate from the people who were following them so that they could rest and recharge. Jesus embraced the Aramis to work 
through grief. After Jesus learned that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded, he went away to himself to be alone in order to grieve. Jesus embraced the Aramis before making important decisions. In Luke 6, early in his ministry, Jesus spent the whole night alone in prayer. The next morning he got up and he went and got his disciples. Jesus embraced the Aramis in times of distress. In Luke 22, hours before Jesus was arrested, he was in great emotional agony. So he climbed the Mount of Olives and went a short distance away from his disciples to pray. The Aramis is a gift. It's an opportunity to get away from people, to reflect on our spiritual condition, to hear God's voice more clearly, to cleanse us from a worldly mindset, to soothe and calm our souls and realign our priorities and goals. Being alone with God feeds our relationship with him. It re revitalizes our spirit and recenters our life. It clears our mind to listen to God in prayer. Jesus had one-on-one -on -one time with the Father. You and I can't afford to deny that for our own lives. One-on-one -on -one time with Jesus allows us to push out the action from our own lives as we slow down in quietness with him. It's about settling our spirit and communing with our Savior. It's easily said, but rarely done. I think we'd admit that it isn't really that hard to do. So if it's not hard to do, then why don't we do it? Reasons we don't spend time in the Aramis. It could be that we are in the midst of a spiritual war. The enemy wants to distract us and keep our attention fixed on anything besides communion with Jesus. And that even includes some good things. Another reason is we live too fast. Slowing down is unusual. Stopping is rare. And another possible reason is that we just think it's boring. We approach solitude with God and we want something to happen. We want action. But many times... That communion with God is quite the opposite. We have to change our thinking on that and realize that we are in the presence of the Lord of the universe. What a privilege. It's not boring at all. It might not be action-packed, but I don't think we can call it boring. Yes, it's slow, but Jesus embraced the slow. And Jesus is our example. So, what have we learned today? What have we learned concerning the Aramis? Sometimes the Spirit of God leads us into the Aramis, the wilderness, the desolate place, solitude, for our own good. It can be a place of spiritual growth and preparation for greater things. We can find God in the Aramis, but be prepared because we may also find the enemy there as well. It may not be the actual devil like Jesus faced. Sometimes our own worst enemy is that person who looks back at us from the mirror each day. Be prepared to battle your own demons while in the Aramis.
But never forget that God is by your side. You are never left alone or forsaken. And finally, whether your wilderness experience lasts 40 days or 40 years, it doesn't last forever. This current wilderness experience we are all in will not last forever. It will come to an end at some point. We shouldn't focus so much on when it will end, but whether we will learn the lessons God has for us while it's here. Remember, God isn't just calling you into isolation right now. He is calling the entire world into isolation. Being away from the church building doesn't mean separation from God. Many times, isolation will bring us closer to God if we can be quiet and still and let him work. God isn't in the wind, the earthquake, or in the fire. He's in the whisper. We can hear him when we slow down and spend time in the wilderness. My prayer is that we learn to embrace the Eremus, that we see the power in this wilderness experience. The wilderness is not for our detriment, but for our betterment. I pray that we learn to trust in God, and when the time comes, we, the bride of Christ, will know where to go. Before we are called home, we are called into the wilderness. Revelation 12, 6 says, Then the woman, the bride of Christ, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. But when we arrive, we will realize it was prepared for us by God, and that is the perfect place to be. This is preparation, dear brothers and sisters. Early African converts to Christianity found time and eagerly participated in private devotions. It's said that each person had an isolated spot in the thicket where he or she would commune alone with God. In the course of time, their paths to these places became well-worn. Consequently, if one grew lax in their discipline, it soon became apparent to others. They would then lovingly remind their fellow Christian brother or sister, the grass grows on your path. If the weeds have grown over your path, hack through them and carve out time for much-needed silence and solitude with God. Find your Oremus. Breaking away from the strong wind, the earthquake, and the fire, listen for the gentle whisper that is the voice of God. Once you've heard it, move forward with a clear vision and renewed strength. Go in peace, dear friends. And believe that you too have been called by the Spirit into the wilderness. Amen and amen.